Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Adrian. And I'm Kevin. Each month on Spectology, we read a book about ideas and talk about them. This month, we're reading Victor Laval's The Ballad of Black Tom. And you can find our spoiler-free pre-read episode from earlier in the month already online. This week, we're doing a bonus episode, part of an ongoing series we call In Conversation. We'll be talking about the media and the aesthetics of reading with our guest, Kevin. We'll dig into the different formats for reading these days, printed books, ebooks, audiobooks, online fiction, and more. Kevin runs the Herodotus blog and came up with this theme to talk about. Kevin, do you want to introduce yourself, tell folks who you are, your background, especially your background with science fiction, and uh, and where folks can find you? Yeah, sure. Um, basically, you can find me at uh, Kevin W. Kelsey or at Kevin W. Kelsey on Twitter, also Instagram. Um, not on Facebook or uh, Herodas.com, H-E-R-A-D-A-S.com. Basically, I, uh, I read a lot and write, write quite a bit about science fiction and literature on, uh, on that blog. And um, really, science fiction, I, I pro- it's probably 70% of what I read is roughly science fiction, 30% just um, modern lit, that kind of thing, a little bit of nonfiction. But for the most part, I write about science fiction and literature. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, I actually thought it might be cool to ask you real quick um, if you could just tell us kind of what your relationship with science fiction is. Like, how did you get into it? Have you liked it for a long time? That kind of thing. You know, I, um, I, I, I started really reading it. Um, it would have been kind of in the early 2000s or so, somewhere around there. Um, this would have been back yeah, I think it would have been like 2003, 2004-ish. So not not terribly long ago, really. But um, um, I used to read a lot of Jack McDevitt books back then when he was he was publishing really actively, that kind of thing. Um, and then I kind of, for a while there, I didn't really read much, kind of mostly through my, my mid to late 20s. Um, I kind of got away from it. And then uh, something happened when I hit 30. Right at 30, I started reading a ton more, uh, you know, 60, 70 books a year, sometimes more like 90 or a hundred, just getting back into it and, and trying to catch up for some of the things that I missed out on because so much had happened in that time frame. And science fiction, especially is one of those genres that can, can change rapidly. It, it seems that it's always in kind of a conversation about itself or with itself. So it's, I had a lot to catch up on. I'm still catching up on it. So <laughs> but that's, that's kind of my background on that. Awesome. Yeah. Um, what is it that you like about reading science fiction? It's the possibilities there. Also, the way that that science fiction has a, a well, it has it really has a tool set to talk about now through a different lens, taking the serial numbers off of current events or current uh, social situations. It can talk about it in a way that's approachable and in a way that I think is probably. Um, one of the better ways to discuss current things without really hitting somebody's bias up front where, where, where someone's ears kind of just shut off when they hear about a certain topic or something like that. You can, you can talk about almost anything through that lens or through that tool set. And it's just, uh, it's just very effective. Also the wonder, the, the, the fear and wonder of it all. Fear and wonder. I love it. That's very, uh, very on on topic for uh, October Halloween month. Oh sure, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so this topic that we're going to delve into today is something that that uh, you suggested, Kevin. Um, basically, well, how would you describe uh, what we're gonna we're gonna get into here? 
the aesthetics of reading. So it's the, the ways in which the format of the book that you read, be it an ebook or a physical book, a, a trade paperback, hardcover, mass market, all these different, all these different forms, audiobook, the way that, that that reading experience differs between the mediums. Because it seems, um, I know in recent years, especially audiobooks have really taken off. I've heard a couple of authors talking about how it's uh, changed the way that they write, th thinking of it as, as it being an audiobook eventually, um, and, and kind of framing it more toward that audience, or, or writing specific things that are only going to be audiobooks, or audiobooks first and then possibly later text. So the idea of going from text to audio as the main the main format, some of these um, Audible originals and things like that, where they, they have kind of a period of time where it's just audio and then other publishers can come in and, and publish an actual text out of it. So it's really just the idea that the, that the form of the book or the format of the book can change the reading experience. Mm. Very cool. Yeah, this is something I'm interested in too. So why don't we kind of go around a little just to kick it off and talk about what, how we read. Um, you know, what are our reading habits? Adrian, do you, uh, do you want to start? Yeah, I can start. I'll, um, I'll start off apologizing. I'm very froggy. I'm getting over a cold right now. So I probably sound like cookie monster or something along those lines. Um, you are, you are the <laughs> cutest, the cutest <laughs> cookie monster. Oh, cookie monster is pretty cute. You seen that guy? The old <laughs> chubby ball love right there. Um, he loves his cookies. Uh, he yeah. Does. Who doesn't? <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, so my um, my reading habits with this in particular is I have you know I read almost everything that we read for this um, podcast at least on my e-reader. I've had a Kindle in particular for a very long time, um, and I read. I'd say like ninety percent of my fiction reading in particular happens via, via Kindle. Although you know to the point of like these things actually work differently. Um, like different formats kind of work differently for different stuff. I would say most like 90% of my nonfiction reading happens on like usually paperback books, but in, in physical book format. And there's a couple different reasons for that. I think we'll, we'll dig into some of those reasons more in a bit here, but it really comes down to like the way I remember and the, like what I retain from reading and like why I read. And also just that like element of like being able to take notes in a in a paperback format and paper, whereas I can't do that as readily on Kindle. And then, um, I've never really been into eBooks. I love podcasts. I love listening to stuff. I love watching YouTube videos and watching movies and everything, but, um, eBooks have, or uh, not even audiobooks have never done it for me. I've never been able to listen to a fiction audiobook successfully. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. I definitely want to ask you about you that. Definitely uh, more. What about you? Yeah, Matt? for sure. Oh, for me, um, I like, I like all of these formats and I don't have a particular reason why I pick one book in one format or not. It tends to be just sort of how to fit reading into my life. So my life is a, is a sort of a Tetris, a half done Tetris game. And the books that I want to read are new blocks that are coming and I just try to fit them in how I can. So if there's a book that I really want to read and I think that I would be able to read it while I'm doing tedious stuff at work, um, then I'll try to get the audiobook version of that. Um, if it's something that I'll be able to read in my commute, that's an ebook time because I take the public transit. Um, if it's something I want to read at home, then it's probably a regular book, although not always. It sort of depends. But I do like printed books and I 
at this point, it's actually funny. The one thing is that over time, printed books, the cost of a printed book has gone up, not necessarily in terms of money, but in terms of, you know, like fitting it, it in your it, bookshelf. Like, <laughs> right. I, I, my, my apartment is, is, doesn't have room for a lot of books anymore, you know, and you so, say that your apartment's literally twice as large as mine. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you live in New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I can't, I can't just be buying, like, even though, you know, I have, there's some great places around me where I can get printed books really, really cheaply, um, cheaper in many cases than, than eBooks. Um, I still don't have the space for them. And so that kind of is a, mm. is a constraint. Um, so for me, it's all about resource management, basically, time and space. What about you, Kevin? I, I like all three, but for different reasons. Um, so physical books, of course, it, it's, it's a hard thing to get away from. It's what books are in my mind when I think of books. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah, physical sure. book. Um, I definitely prefer physical over over audio or ebooks for most of the, most of most of the time, um, but uh, ebooks have their strengths. They have just just the ability of the reader, really, a Kindle or, or Kobo, Nook, those kinds of different different ebook readers. You can you can read in the dark. You can look up a word immediately. You can mm. define it. You can load in dictionaries and have mm-hmm. different languages. You can you can adjust the the size of the text. Uh, you can, there, there's just so many things that they bring to the table, but even still all of that, i still prefer just physical books, just a good trade paperback. Um, but yeah. audiobooks, I, I like audiobooks for situations where my attention can't really be pulled away from it. Um, for instance, if I'm, if I'm riding a bike or doing something that's kind of repetitive and, and boring, because otherwise only having the the audiobook in my ears I'll miss things for sure I'll I'll you know you have your other senses that are open and available when you're listening to an audiobook reading on an ebook or a physical book you are completely in it um yeah definitely deeper reading I, I feel like and I I'm curious if that's always the case or if that's just me if if visual and the tactile feedback of the of the book or device um adds to the reading experience or if people, if there are some people that genuinely prefer audiobooks because they have kind of a deeper, um, a more, they're more submerged into the book that way. Right. I know that I definitely feel like exactly the same way about audiobooks and it's part of why. And, and I even find that even if I am like cooking or driving or something along those lines, I still miss huge chunks of the audiobook. And part of why I kind of like, I think appreciate podcasts more than audiobooks is just the sense of like, uh, you miss a piece, you miss a piece. It's like no big deal at the end of the day. Um, you know, like I, whereas when I am listening to a book, if I miss like three sentences, maybe I missed something important. Maybe I didn't, but I don't know. And then I have to go back and like deal mm. with it. And, um, and you know, I, and so I definitely, I definitely have that feeling that I've never been able to really like, focus on an audio book in the same way that I can when the like text is right there in front of me. Um, I was also curious, Kevin, really quickly. Um, cause like Matt and I both mentioned this, like we live in major cities with like, you know, trains and stuff. And so a lot of like, right. a lot of why I read on the Kindle is just like, it's easier. Like I can read one handed with a Kindle and I can't very easily. And if I'm standing and holding a pole with one hand, um, you know, it's like I kind of right. need to be able to do that. Um, 
Do you drive and do you listen to audiobooks when you drive? Like how do you how do you do the commuting thing with with reading? Yeah. I, I'm in a much smaller, uh, much smaller city, more more a town than a city, I'd say. So I do commute either uh, in a car, driving myself, or riding my bike. I'm, I'm, uh, I've got the luxury of a really great trail system, paved yes. trail system, all through this town. So I can I can get most anywhere on a bicycle. Um, and if I am if I am on a bicycle um, and I'm wanting to do some reading, I'll listen to it as an audiobook. Mm-hmm. Or in the car too, not as often in the car because I'm fairly close to where I work. So it's just a, you know, 10 minutes or something here and there. You kind of, you can't get a big enough chunk to really um, mm. get absorbed mm. into it. So I have a question for, I actually have a several questions because this conversation has made me realize a few things. So what's the, f- how young were you when you, f- you guys first um, tried out an audiobook? Mm, that is a good question. I think my, uh, yeah, I would have been, I would have been in grade school. It would have been books on tape, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Probably from the library. Yeah. I, my, uh, my, my, my dad was very into listening to Star Trek, uh, dramas, dramatized <laughs> Star Trek things <laughs> on tape. It. And, uh, he would travel a lot. So if I ever went with him in those situations, we'd be in the car listening to, you know, a lot of times the, the actual cast of either mm. the original Star Trek oh, or Next cool. Generation or something like that. That's reading so cool. <laughs> these voice, you know, doing their doing their performances with some effects and things like that. So more of a dramatization rather than an audio book. But I think that they started out as audio books, possibly just produced as a as a dramatization for um, for these books on tape. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. The reason I ask is I'm going to ask Adrian too. But like the reason I ask is just because I realize like we think of audiobooks as a new thing. They're not new at all. I mean, mm-hmm. the first audiobooks I listened to, I was very young, and we put them on in the car when we're fam- my family was going on road trips you know Adrian how old were you yeah I mean I actually explicitly remember because it was the first audiobook I ever listened to was Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency and it was on so you know I grew up in rural Alaska as I say frequently on this show but um from Homer, my hometown, and we lived like outside of Homer, um, to Anchorage, which was where like we had some family up there. Plus, it was just like the only city in Alaska. So you need shit. You go up to right. Anchorage for it. Um, it was like a five hour drive. And so sometimes we would, you know, doing that drive, if we had an audio book and explicitly a book on tape, we'd have, you know, like six cassette tapes that you had to like put in and pull out over the over the drive. Um, that definitely could make it a little bit more entertaining. So I would have been, I think, in middle school driving up Anchorage with my mom when I listened when I listened to that for the first time but um but it's also it's funny because like I said I'd never listened to one successfully I did I listened to that and like one other that I don't remember the name of or anything another book we got from the library both of them we got from the library but the thing that we would more frequently listen to and we would do this at home too, would be like old timey radio plays from like the fifties and sixties. Mm, yeah. My grandpa actually sent me like dozens and dozens of them. I mean, we probably had like 80 or 90 cassettes of these radio plays and different packages. And those were the kind of things I'd listen to those at home. I'd listen to, you know, dimension X and, and, and well, yeah, it was dimension X. And there was another one too, with another thing with X in the name that were, um, these really fun, like science fiction short stories. They're usually published stories that were not simply read, but actually readapted for like a more play, radio play type format. And those I really enjoyed as a kid. Yeah, I, I listened to stuff like that too. And and books also. And I actually probably listened to a lot more 
audiobooks or radio dramas or things like that when I was younger than, uh, you know, by the time I went off to college and after. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny to realize that because it makes me, I mean, it really, you know, drives home the continuity era to era of, of some of these different uh, formats for literature. And, you know, before there was radio drama, there were people telling stories. You know, there were, there were you could go and purchase a ticket to go to a theater, you know, like 100 years ago, 150 years ago, you could go to purchase a ticket to go to a theater to sit in a seat to listen to somebody read or perform or, you know, somewhere in between a story at you. Right. Like well, Charles and, Dickens did this, you know, and very like, famously. And ultimately, you know, Homer wasn't an author. It was a bunch of different people who like told stories in bars, essentially. You know, yeah. it was like, right. yeah. you know, like the Odyssey and the Iliad were not written down first. They were like these long oral traditions. And similar even with a lot of the, you know, large portion of the Bible, especially the Jewish portion of it, were like long oral traditions long before it got written mm-hmm. down in any way. And, and, and people would read books to each other for entertainment mm-hmm. very commonly, you know, right. all throughout history, even before, even before printing made books more widely available. Reading a book aloud to someone as a form of entertainment was was, you know, if you had the book available, was definitely something people right. did. Actually so it's just kind of cool. Curious. You guys yeah. both have significant others. Do you ever like read books to each other? Like you and your fiance's wives? Uh, oh yeah, all all the time. Um currently we're actually we're working our way through I don't know if you've heard of this, such a thing that PBS is doing right now called the Great American Read. Mm, and mm-hmm, they basically mm-hmm. have they've polled um That's the cool. whole country, well sections of the country trying to account for um being as broad as possible, making sure to in- include uh, communities that may have not been included in, in polls of what your favorite book is before. But they basically ask that that question, and then they've kind of tallied this all up, and they've come up with a list of 100 books. And uh, they've got a program, I think it's every Tuesday or Wednesday or something like that. And uh, they go through and they talk about some of the themes of some of these books. So we're trying to work our way through and read some of those um, she has, has read quite a, quite a few more than I have. I think I've read maybe 10 or 15 of them and she's probably around 30 or 40, but we're reading them together as just a, a thing to do together. So yeah, we do that quite a bit. I love that. I love that. I absolutely love that. I have done that a little, um, with my fiance and, and not, I mean, it's, it's honestly, the only reason we haven't done it more is just time. And I, I, that's something that I want to make more time for because it's a really, really satisfying activity. It's super it is. cool. Yeah. It's interesting you were talking about really storytelling was an auditory thing before even being written down, it seems like. I mean, maybe, maybe you know, cave drawings or something, you could argue that, 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 that this, it's a story, but, but telling stories, that was uh, speaking to one another. And in a way, audiobooks are really continuing that tradition um, because it is a performance in a way. It's, there's the text and then the person reading it they may do voices. They kind of in, interpret the text and then perform it to you. It's like having a book read to you or a story told to you, which I think in a lot of ways can be very satisfying, especially um, for people that that are not very into reading themselves. It's a kind of a, a, a step into the idea of reading as a form of entertainment. I'm glad you brought that up. This conversation has reminded me that I know a guy who uh, claims to never read books. It's not entirely true. You know, he, he's a, he's a college educated person who actually, you know, is just sort of to some extent performing, uh, <laughs> ignorance about this stuff. But, but, uh, he certainly doesn't read very much and he doesn't like reading things that much. 
Um, a lot of the reading that he does do is either for work or it's about sports. You know, and I think there's a lot of people that that are like that. Um, but he will occasionally listen to an audiobook. And it's funny because I got into a conversation with him uh, a few weeks ago where he made some outrageous claim, you know, mostly to be provocative. I'm not sure he really believes this, but he said something to, to the effect of books can't be funny. Like it's impossible. Mm. It's impossible to read something and then laugh because you're reading. That's insane. And this is <laughs> it's an insane opinion. I that agree. is insane. We it, all, it sounds like he it sounds like he may not be able to get past the, the act of reading. And right. I think for some yeah. people that that becomes kind of distracting um, mm. if you're not used to sitting down tuning out everything else, holding something in your hand, focusing directly on it, mm -hmm. it's hard to get past the physical thing that you're doing mm -hmm. there because you're, if you haven't, if you haven't kind of trained your attention to just focus and be okay focusing for a long period of time, it's weird. It, it, you know, you, you could start hearing the, the, the words in your head instead of, instead of thinking about reading them and having it kind of go through, you're more in tune with what you're physically doing than, than uh, kind of losing yourself in a book. And I think it takes a while to get to that point, especially as fractured as our attention, uh, as, as our attention spans are now with all of the, the ways that we can be distracted, mm -hmm. the constant notifications, constant interruptions, that kind of thing always trying to be faster and faster and keeping up. It's nice to to just have, a, especially a physical book, as sort of a way to ground yourself in physical reality for a moment. I love it for that. So, mm, Yeah, I totally agree. Couldn't agree more. It was funny to me that he also, it, the, the, the argument that I ended up making eventually to him was, since I knew that he had listened and enjoyed listening to audiobooks before, I said, well, have you ever laughed listening to something? What's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's it's the same content isn't it if somebody's reading something to you aloud as opposed to you're reading it to yourself surely you don't think that that same content would in one case have the ability to make you laugh and in the other not no but i i mean i, I can totally see it, it doing, i said to him you know, you know that was what I, yeah, <laughs> yeah i'm yeah. gonna weirdly take his side in this which is not that like it's impossible for it to be fun but i think to to kevin's point like i definitely notice when I haven't been reading for a long time for whatever reason, reading is harder. Like I have to retrain myself right. to get in the habit of like sitting down with a book in my hands or actually reading the audio book or not audio, reading the ebook on the subway instead of like fucking yeah. playing words That's with true. friends or whatever it is that I'm going to do instead. Um, and especially actually I noticed a change in the New York city subway system. And this is kind of like this interesting interplay of like the physical world with like reading, um, the New York city subway system, it's all underground. When I moved to the city, there was just no cell phone access anywhere in it. You just didn't have access to your you know, phone. Now they've put repeaters about two, three years ago, they put repeaters in every single station. So every single station gets really strong, like 4g wireless access now. And so all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I can be on my phone the whole time. Whereas before you just couldn't, you put your phone away and you like read and that's what everyone did. And I noticed that I am on my phone a lot more and also other people around me are, there's a lot less reading happening since that change happened which is um, unfortunate because I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to be a total Luddite here, but, you know, it's also nice to not be on my fucking phone all the time. <laughs> I wish I were better at that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, it's so funny to me how the book has become this, like the, 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 the book itself, which used to be 
just a medium in my mind. It used to not it used to not be not have product status. Mm-hmm. It used to not need selling points. But now it's sort of it's sold as a way of freeing yourself from the grind of, you know, modern social media existence. <laughs> and yeah. That's that's true. That's it's not a not, not it's a true thing about a, the experience of reading a book. But it's just funny how it's metamorphosized from this you know seamless right. delivery system to product that has well. There's almost like a features. moral weight to it. There's this sense of you know it's not I not everyone does this, but I, I've definitely fallen into this trap of like oh I'm I'm reading and that's better than being on my phone. You, you know. <laughs> um, Minimum or maximum <laughs> trap or, right. you know, city on a hill. <laughs> That's interesting because um, I wonder how much of that is is marketing and how much is the, the publishing industry trying to keep up with the changing technological landscape. So for, I know for, for quite a few years there, reading was down, book sales were down, everything was down. Um, it seems like it's kind of been picked back up and, and part of that may actually be the whole ebook model. Possibly, um, it's made it a lot easier for people to to buy books. It's so direct; you just, you know, click on your on your device on your Kindle or Kobo, whatever. Or you can you can even check books out from the library directly on the device itself, which is, I think, that kind of it, it probably also makes it more more approachable for people to read the kind of books they want to, also because you can read it in public without advertising what it is that you're reading. Um, I'm sure that those statistics of what books are selling in different formats would be fascinating to to have a look at. I definitely have female yeah. friends who like read way more romance novels in public because they have right. readers. Yeah. And they just feel it's like way more comfortable yeah. for them. I was just going to ask you guys, have you ever decided to read something in, in physical book form exactly because you wanted to advertise what it was? Yes. <laughs> you know, I've thought I about so it. Embarrassed. I definitely have. I've definitely thought about it. I'm kind of the person where if I'm out reading in public, usually just because I, I I'm probably too self-aware in some ways or self-conscious, I suppose, where when I set the book down, it's usually covered down, turned pages <laughs> out so that so oh, no yeah. one knows what it is that I'm reading. But it's it's crossed my mind. I I, I guess I've, I've I've I didn't want to appear that I th- was thinking about right. others right. thinking about yeah. what I was reading. So it's a little too postmodern in my own mind for, for yeah. my own but good. Do, do you think it matters <laughs> do you think it matters what the book is? Like would you do that for literally all books or would there be some books that you would like feel like, oh you know, other people should know that that people read this, you know, yeah. people should be aware of this book being read. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, this book defines me as a person. I suppose, you know, no, like, no, 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 not not even like a personal thing, that. but almost oh, like okay. you want to evangelize the book. Oh, like, okay, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I, I, uh, I think I've, I think I've been in that place before. Yeah, where it's something where it's like this is fantastic. Other people should know about this. Maybe they don't yeah, know about it. Right. Yeah, kind of thing. I, yeah. I explicitly like one of the books that I did this for was White Noise by Don DeLillo because it's like oh, a literary yeah. book. And I was like, oh, I'm reading Don DeLillo. <laughs> and, you know, and I think I think maybe there's some difference here because so much of like my reading does happen on the train. I mean, it's like a 45 minute commute for me into the city on the New York City subway system. And that's where I do, you know, 
it's like an hour and a half of reading a day. That's a good chunk yeah, of what dude, I do. Dude, and reading so, white noise on the subway, can I just say, reading white noise on the New York City subway is peak New York City subway. It, well, <laughs> I, I had multiple people comment on it. Wow. <laughs> and so the like, way you can... It did the thing I wanted it to do. I had, you know, like, yeah. like oh, that's a really good book. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I would almost pick a book to bring on a trip to New York based like 90% based on like what I wanted to be seen reading on the, I'm not even joking. Like, and I, and I, and I wouldn't pick like some fancy book, you know, I would pick something that I thought was cool. Do you know what I mean? Like, like uh-huh. cool. Like I would pick like, like a, a ratty old paperback of Gene Wolfe book. Right. Oh yeah. There you go. <laughs> I would say too, the, the other book that I've had comments on in the subway was actually Elena Ferrante's, um, the, the friend book yeah whatever. brilliant friend my, yeah, my brilliant, brilliant friend. friend there we go um which was funny because like the comments i got from that were like people who i would not have pegged as like someone who read that book um like oh interesting it's really it's really fun yeah. it's you know made sad by the fact that i ended up not really enjoying it and putting it down halfway through oh no is, i love that book i know you <laughs> I enjoyed well, we, that we had the too. book club about it um yeah that's right i was the one person who couldn't i don't know why I, like it's one of those books where i'm reading it and i'm like i should like this but I don't. I'm not going to finish. It. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's legit, dude. That's legit. Um, I'm. I have a question for for you guys about audiobooks because you both like them more than I do, and so I'm curious: Is listening to an audiobook? Do you consider that reading a book? Having a book read to you, listening to it, like how do you think about that in in your own heads? Like, is listening to an audiobook the same as reading a book? Is that reading a book? It's, it's close. I, I, I wouldn't be opposed to saying that it is the same. Um, but not specifically for myself. It's more, uh, a dipping your toes into a book kind of, kind of feeling for me, listening to an audiobook. not really not dipping your, t- dipping your toes into the water of a book is what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like testing, testing the book out. Basically. Not literally mushing a book around. With your yeah. Toes. <laughs> yeah. That's, that was a strange visual. Yeah. Hopefully that came across. Um, it's, it's more skimming almost. It's, um, Interesting. I think mostly because you're not able to flip back. You're not able to be completely immersed or I'm not at least. Um, and it does feel like a performance. It feels like in a way the book's already been uh, kind of quickened in someone else's mind and then brought to you the way that, the way that, um, the reader of the book would, would be reading it. So it feels like a, a level of removal from, from reading, but I don't want to say that audiobooks aren't books because I know a lot of people really prefer them, and especially if you're visually impaired, it's a great option. Yeah, um, yeah. To, this is not meant read. judgmentally. I, 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 oh, I yeah, definitely sure. can get judgmental, and this is one thing that I am not. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think for me, it, it almost depends on the book. Um, I don't really. I was going to mention this before. I forgot. I I don't really think that. I don't really think that audiobooks in general prevent me from engaging with a book as deeply but i think it is a sort of different kind of engagement and i think for some books it makes it harder for me to engage as deeply um definitely if there was a book that um but actually i actually don't even really know if it has to do with fiction versus nonfiction or even you know dense versus light i think i think it almost has to do with what kind of um almost like the flow of the narrative that the, the tempo of it mm-hmm. has to be, okay. has to be right for the tempo of my mind as I'm listening to it in whatever situation I am listening to it. So for example, if I were at work 
something that was, you know, the perfect audiobook for my job situation. Uh, I, I listened to All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr. Uh, and that book is like these really short chapters. And I, and I, I listened to it and it ended up working perfectly for work, which normally I wouldn't necessarily want to listen to a whole book at work. I would want to listen to something shorter at work because I have the problem that I can go an hour or two without being interrupted, but it's almost impossible to go more than an hour or two without being interrupted. Um, and, you know, if the chapters are short, that actually works. That's fine. That's totally fine. I can even restart a chapter. It, it doesn't really matter. They're really that short. Um, if they were longer, if if there was a sort of sustained scene that went on for a really long time, it might be a lot more difficult. But that book just happened not to work that way. Um, and there are certain nonfiction books that do work that way, that do have long sustained sort of quote unquote scenes or long sustained sections where an argument is being made and it would be difficult to break it up. But then there's other nonfiction books where perhaps that's not as much the case. Um, so I, I think it's, it's a tempo thing, I guess I would say. You know, that's really interesting. The, um, having smaller sections in books, that kind of reminds me of something where on, on eBooks I've noticed, especially reading on a smaller screen with less text on the screen, I tend to read for longer or I, mm. I read, um, more of the book than I realized I did. I think just because it's broken into smaller sections, even though those sections are just pages, it sort of makes me, it, it makes me, it gives it kind of a forward momentum, the way that, the way that books with short chapters can feel like more like page turners. Um, I'll look down and realize that I had read way more than I had intended to, or I, I found myself getting lost in it a little easier because of that forward momentum, which is very strange that I still prefer physical books. There's so much of that physical, that physical object, the way that it feels, the way it looks, smells, just that kind of thing. It's, it's, um, there's so much to that physicality. Well, I know. Uh, so on my Kindle, I am really aggressive with the margins. I set like really, really thick margins so that I don't actually have to scan my eyes to read. I can just move my eyes straight down. And it does mean that I can read a lot faster on it. And I, I'm just kind of like blasting through the pages. Um, but I think that I like that for fiction because be going fast helps keep me in the mood and keep me in the characters and has this, like you said, this feeling of momentum and of storytelling. Whereas when I'm reading something nonfiction in particular, I usually want to slow down. I want to focus more on a sentence by sentence level than I might necessarily care about in my fiction reading. Um, and there's also just the element of like memory. Like when I'm, when I'm reading a, like a book that is a three-dimensional object. Like I have books that years later I can think, oh, there was this cool thing in this book and I can go pick it up and flip right to it because it's like I have a three-dimensional representation of where that right. is in the book. Yeah. It's like a memory palace. Like every book is it's like forcing me to create a memory palace for that particular mm -hmm. book. Um, and that's useful. I mean, that's really <laughs> handy. And, you know, helpful. And I think for me, like very helpful in the like nonfiction reading I do compared to the fiction reading I do. Yeah, I think there's definitely a kind of uh, broad experience associated that I associate with physical books. It's sort of similar to what you're describing. The, the sort of three dimensional memory thing is re very real for me. Um, but I also feel like there's an emotional content to the physicality of the book, too, mm -hmm. that's you know, there's books, there's certain, Absolutely. there's certain books that I, even if I, I suppose I had the book 
in ebook format and also in print format and also in audiobook format. I would definitely prefer to read in print format, regardless of, as I said, yeah, like I said before, I, I tend to pick things, pick formats based on how they fit into my life. But there are some books where I would just have to read the print version of the book and I would have to read a certain copy. You know, it's the copy that so-and-so gave me. Yes. It's yeah. the copy that has my marginalia from when I was younger, right. you know. We have a way of affixing our our emotions to physical objects like that that I think goes a very very long way back just the idea that you can have a book that you've read have it on your shelf you see it on the shelf and when you see it you remember reading it or you remember where you were or you remember who gave it to you that kind of thing it's mm-hmm. not quite the same having an icon on a screen it's it's almost like taking a hypertext approach to physical objects like an ebook is is a flattened or compressed physical book taking all of the elements of it that are um not actually redundant but you might say are redundant the outside the cover the the pages all of that you take it and flatten it down into an identical experience on every book instead of letting the physical book be its own experience and there's so much experience you can get from for that, uh, for lack of a better term, I guess, holistic look at the book. It's the whole, yeah. the whole thing. Mm-hmm. There are certain books that they didn't have to be a book, but because they're a physical book, I really like them. And actually, the Bla- Ballad of Black Tom is such a book that, that mm. it's it's short enough that you could imagine reading it in one sitting online. But that's just what that I would did. make it worse. <laughs> I think that would make it worse. And we maybe we could talk about yeah. that more in, in our post read. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to. <laughs> so what about um, what about what about books that really only work as physical books? Books mm. that were sort of written visually. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, the uh, like House, House of Leaves. Leaves. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. His, yeah. his writing. He he seems like a visual artist whose medium is physical books. Yeah, to me, you know. And 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 it, he uses color in such a way that it, I don't think his books are even available as as ebooks or audio. Yeah, I don't know what House of Leaves would look like as an audio or as a as an ebook. Like I don't think it it would. And part of that is because one of the elements of House of Leaves in particular is that you have to flip back and forth between it. Right. Um, like there's no there isn't like. House of Leaves is not a linear narrative like most books out there, even like a lot of like nonfiction books are. There's this sort of like you can start at the beginning and go to the end and get like an experience of it, whereas you actually cannot do that with House of Leaves. Like there are portions where like you have to jump back and forth through the book for it to make any sense. And so that's a very, you know. That's actually taking this kind of memory palace thing and almost like working with it on purpose. Right. And like actually being like, oh, yeah, let's, you know, let's build the house by making you, you know, forcing you into like different formats. Um, right. Another example of that is, um, you know, David Foster Wallace's um, um, Infinite Jest is like the the footnotes mm-hmm. to that are really important. And I found that the first time I read that, I read it um, in the physical copy. I had like the big physical paperback copy that I read and, you know, I kind of like flipped back and forth and had two different bookmarks and everything. Um, the second time I read it, I read it on an ebook and I wasn't sure if I was going to enjoy it, but I was reading it on the train and I was like, I'm not carrying this fucking five pound book with me all the time. And I actually enjoyed it. Well, no, I got a very different experience out of it reading it on ebook 
One thing that was really interesting was how easy it was to flip. Like it actually became easier to read the footnotes because Hmm. there's just a link that you click and it takes you to the footnote. When you get to the end of the footnote, you hit the back button and you're immediately back at where you began. Like, you know, and so it's this, it keeps track of it more easily than trying to keep track of it using two different bookmarks. Um, But it also, I think to this element of like, when I'm reading a ebook, I'm reading a little bit more faster and I'm a little bit more like engaged with the characters and kind of like, like there's a, an element of almost like abstraction. I'm not reading word for word. I am like enjoying it as it comes. And so I just like paid way more attention to the plot and like understood the plot better. And like, you know, kind of like it was this different experience of it felt much more like reading a novel than experiencing a text or whatever that the, that the first time I read it did. And I don't know to what degree that is just like I would reading it for the second time. So I knew how to read it already. And what degree that was like, Oh, I was reading it on an ebook. So it was actually like a different book that way. Gotcha. I have a question for the gang. Um, how do you feel about different editions of the same book? And how that plays into this discussion. Because I was just thinking, as you were saying that, Adrian, there have um, there are some, especially, you know, big, thick old sort of books that have pretensions of, you know, being classic or, or that a lot of people already think are classic. And, uh, and especially, especially big, thick old translated, you know, mm-hmm. or in some way foot, heavily footnoted um, classic books. Um, you know, there tend to be a lot of different editions of the same book and people or different translations of the same book and people have different experiences with the different translations of the different editions. And I think obviously translations, um, are still different from each other if they're in ebook format. But I think in some ways, a lot of the stuff that we look at when we look at the difference between editions of print books gets flattened away like so many other things when the transitions made to the ebook, I think about like the difference between, for example, the penguin edition of an old book and some other edition of an old book. You know, I have the penguin edition of some HP Lovecraft, uh, collections. Uh, I also have a non penguin edition of, of some of those same stories and they're really different. I like the penguin one a lot better. I like the typesetting better. I like the cover design better. I, I like the, uh, uh, forward more, you know, there's all these little things, the experience of it changes quite a bit. Um, and it also has this interesting thing where, because it's the same edition as some other books I have, it's the same penguin edition. It kind of fits with those other books in this cool way. Mm -hmm. Ebooks, you know, there's some extent to which obviously you can change the font, you can change the forward, the translations matter, but there's an interesting thing where like the difference is a lot less visible, I think. Yeah, I definitely like, what do you guys think about that? I think, uh, well, one, I think I want to put the issue of like translations aside because that's its whole like book. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think in terms of um, like additions, I definitely think about that. And I, you know, and this comes, this is true of both Kindle, ebook, whatever, and physical books, but like typesetting is really important. I definitely have books. I feel like especially academic books that are typeset so poorly and it makes them so hard to read and enjoy. (laughs) And it's so frustrating, (laughs) especially when they're books that I actually like, like the content of, but like (laughs) reading them, I think in particular I have like, um, 
Like I have the penguin edition of some Kierkegaard that's really good. And I have another one. I don't have it on my bookshelf here that is not penguin. And it just like, it's impossible to read because like the ink is smeared all over these shitty cheap pages. <laughs> um, and it's like, you know, it's like I bought it in 2010. Like we shouldn't be having these problems anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. So I definitely feel that. And I also, but I, I would say that more frequently I have issues with the, particularly the Kindle where like some books just take the default Kindle formatting and they work great. But I've had some eBooks that are nearly impossible to read because like they line break weird or they like change the font size at different points or like whatever. I actually had some issues with Black Tom with this and it was all stuff I could do. But whenever it italicized anything, it would like create these weird line breaks, you know, and it's some clearly like some like machine problem here. And that I always, uh, that's really, that's really frustrating. And I think an important part of reading and being able to stay in the book is having that, but it's one of those things. It's like web design where it's like when it's good, you don't notice it. And when it's bad, you really notice it. <laughs> what do yeah. you, what do you think, Kevin? Um, I will usually seek out the edition of a book I really want, uh, or, or the one that, that works the best for sure. So addition is extremely important. The way that it's put together, a lot of it for me has to do with um, the trying to sort of interpret what the publisher thinks about the book by the edition that they've released. So, you know, there's the old, you can't judge a book by its cover type thing, but I think that you can judge what a publisher thinks about a book by the way that they've presented it to mm -hmm. the reader. Mm -hmm. And and all of that, just from a design perspective, is very satisfying. Getting the kind that that is typeset in a way that's readable, that has the margins, the way that that uh, works the best. That's in the right physical size. It's not too large. It's not uh, too tiny. That the text is is clear or or in a font that um, distinguishes the the story more more directly. Um, basically all those ways that, that you can design a user's experience, a user being a reader in this situation, a lot of publishers or some publishers really put the time into shaping that reading experience and others kind of just seem like they don't care exactly. Hmm. So, so publishers that, 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 um, have that kind of reputation, I'll usually seek those additions out of, of whatever the book is, especially if it's something uh, a classic or an older book that there are a million different versions of it. A lot of them just public domain. It's almost slapped together in, in some situations, but the, the ones that really take their time and make sure that that reading experience is the way that, uh, is most beneficial. I, I'll seek those ones out for sure. And, and just, just the visuals of it, the cover that you like, that you prefer, the one that you remember, um, one that, uh, that the binding isn't too tight on. Strangely enough, I've, I've noticed, um, a lot of, a lot of European publishers, the, the binding, maybe the glue in these paperbacks will be very, very stiff where it'll kind of crack. And then mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of the, um, more recent U S editions of things, they'll be a little floppier, a little easier to hold, to, to maneuver mm -hmm. and flip through for some reason. I don't know why that is exactly, but it seems like it's almost directly, um, based on where it was printed or put together. I'm not sure how that works. Yeah, it makes sense. Is there, <clears throat> is there a particular issue, uh, edition of a book that stands out in your minds as something that you remember, you know, almost 
especially for its physical appearance. I mean, when I think about when I as soon as I started thinking about editions of books, I immediately thought of this old copy of Treasure Island that I had as a kid and I still have it. And it was this incredibly beautiful sort of hardback book that I don't know, you know, what the hell edition it was or where it came from. I mean, it was given to me by my father, but I don't know, like it's provenance beyond that it was given to me. Um, it just has, it has a very particular, you know, spot in my memory and it's, uh, um, yeah. Is there, is there a book like that for you guys that you think of not just the story, but for, for, for what the book was? Mm. I, I, I can actually say that this copy of Kierkegaard that funny enough was like right behind me and is one of those for me. And it's for the, me, it is less about, I do really like the front cover. It's the penguin classics edition. It's like a very, just a very like nice, clean, um, edition of fear and trembling, but also of the different translations I've read, this is the one that I like like the most and is the clearest and is kind of easiest to like deal with the content. And I also have this marked up. I've read it multiple times and I've marked it up different times. So there's marginalia that actually like evolves as my thinking about this book has like evolved over time. And so this like, one physical copy of this book in particular is like very special to me because it kind of, you know, represents my relationship with the book, like on the page, which I, which I think is really cool and is fun to like go reread and be like, Oh, cool. That's what I thought at that time. And here I'll mark what I think now and that kind of thing. I think for me, I don't have a specific exact book, but it's more um, a line of books that, um, that vintage contemporaries was doing in the eighties where it would usually have that, uh, the spine would have kind of a, a bold color like blue or red or orange or something green with the author's last name. And then the title in the front was almost like a still life cover. It was sort of a design set that they did for a while. They may have gone in into the 90s with that too, but it was um, a lot of the books like, uh, I think Cormac McCarthy had some, I think there were some Don DeLillo ones also, but it was just a, they, they, they had a, a similar design aesthetic and they were they were very readable. They were all typeset in the same type of font. They were, um, you could roll them up basically. I think they were sort of meant to be a mass market type of appeal, but they were a little larger than that, like eight by five or something like that. But those specifically really, I've really enjoyed reading those books because of their, their physical aspects. Wow. That sounds awesome. I, I'm not familiar with those and they sound really cool. Yeah, they're, they're, they're very cool. I think they're still doing vintage contemporaries. They look entirely different, but they're, they, the line continued on. Um, I'm trying to think of another one that's kind of like that. Oh, FSG I mean, that, Classics. Yeah. They also did oh, that for yeah. a while too. FSG those, Classics, yeah. the Joan Didion, um, what, what the uh, White Noise, I think. Mm. Not White Noise, no. Um, the White Album. The White Album. The White Album. Yeah. I love, I, I love like there, there's something just absolutely captivating, I guess is the word about the, a, a book that feels right. A book that mm. is, has this incredibly like, you know, sensual, attractive quality. Sure. Sensual's sensual is actually the wrong word. Cause it's not a sort of, it's not attractive in that way, but it's, it's almost like, uh, I'm a, Man, I, I I'm I'm failing here, but there's something really beautiful about 
it's like a beautiful image when you see a beautiful image in real life, when you see a beautiful view or the light from the sun hits the building in front of you just right, you know, that kind of feeling of aesthetic satisfaction, that mm, very, that very palpable feeling of satisfaction. You know, that's, that's something that I, that I love when, when it's coming from a, a book in front of me, it makes that the entire experience of sitting down and going through it, um, have this whole other level, you know, you maybe you're enjoying the story and maybe you aren't. And it's almost weird when you don't in that, in that case, but you can not, it's possible. definitely. But when you're going through it and you're enjoying the story, the, the narrative, or you're enjoying reading it, and it has this, like this aesthetic satisfaction sort of oozing off of it into your hands. It's amazing. You know, there's, there's nothing like it. It multiplies the experience for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's for me, that's the, um, that's the difference between reading a book that's been designed versus one that's just kind of thrown together where every aspect of its, of its physicality has been crafted to be the best that it can, that it can be basically. It's cool. Well, well uh, yeah, yeah, sounds like a, a, we've, we've covered a lot of ground here. I, I, I feel like uh, we may be running out of time at this point. Right. Um, we've covered a lot of my vocal cords at this point too. <laughs> 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 Um, but this this been an absolutely terrific episode. I've really enjoyed it, Kevin. It was great to have you on. I hope yeah. you enjoyed it too. Absolutely. Thanks um, for having hey, me. I, thanks I've, so much. I've, uh, yeah. Yo, what, why don't you say experience. again where where folks can find you? Um, yeah, it's Haradas.com. Uh, H-E-R-A-D-A-S.com is where I write book reviews, occasionally essays about books and just general thoughts and things like that. Mostly about science fiction. Um, Kevin at at Kevin W Kelsey on Twitter and also on Instagram. Nice. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. So, um, I just like to, uh, you know, welcome everybody to, uh, check out our post read episode when we put that up. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when that's going up right now, but we're going to have our post read, uh, covering the ballad of black Tom by Victor Laval, um, pretty soon. And then just many thanks as always to, uh, WJ for the music, uh, and Noah Bradley for our art. And well, and you can find us too at, on Twitter at SpectologyPod, uh, SpectologyPod at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to email us, um, you know, like we, we found Kevin and Kevin found us through Twitter and everything. So that's, that's how this all got put together. So tweet us. We like it. I like it. Like friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, <Yep>. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, I think. Oh yeah. And if you want to, you know, post this on Reddit or whatever too, I don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> all right well adrian's gonna hopefully recover and uh we will see you soon (laughs) bye Bye, guys (laughs) bye Bye,